I want to read to you the last verse of the text I'm going to read today. It's Acts chapter 2, verse 39, and it says, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. If you're a children, raise your hand. Who's a children? <laughs> it's kind of a trick question because we're all children, right? <laughs> we're children. It doesn't matter how old we are. We're children. But I know I'm, I'm talking to the, the young children. And I want to tell you young children that God has made a promise to you, but he's also made it to your parents. That as your parents love God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, as your parents train you up, raise you up in the fear of the Lord, the Bible says the promises of God belong to you. And that should give us hope. Do you like promises? Who likes promises? Who likes it when promises are broken? We don't like that, right? Does God keep his promises or does God break his promises? What do you think? He keeps his promises. So, God has made a promise to you. Now, I know you're young children, and it's hard to imagine, but do you know what? Your parents were young children at one time. Some of you who are young children now, do you know that I knew your parents when they were young children? I did. That's how old I am. And there was a time when they were young children and they couldn't imagine having you because they were just concerned about playing and riding their bikes and getting popsicles and candy and stuff like that. Kind of like you are today, right? But they grew up and they had children and here you are. And God made promises to them about you. And do you know that God has made promises to you about your children one day? And so, should we keep our promises? Should we? Yes. So, do you believe God is faithful? Yes. So, are we to be faithful? Yes, we are. And as we are faithful to God, because God is always faithful to us, God has said, I will keep my promise. For the promise is to you, to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Do you know what that promise is that Peter is talking about here? It's the promise of salvation. It's the promise that God will give us his spirit. Do you know that when God gives you his spirit, that means you belong to him? And that you have been made brand new and you are saved? And when you belong to Jesus, the promises God makes to his children, he will keep. And we never have to worry about that. So if you belong to Jesus today, how many of you children here trust Jesus, look to Jesus, love Jesus? Then know that his promises are true and he will never ever break them. So be faithful to him because he is faithful to you. Keep your word to him because he always keeps his word.
to you. You think your parents would like for you to do that? Keep your word? Yes. You think that's pleasing to God? Yes. And it's good when we desire to please God. Amen? All right, children. Now I'm going to read the rest of this. Now I'm going to tell you the rest of the story, okay? So here's our text today. And actually, I'm talking to you today about the gospel and social justice. Yes, we're going to talk about social justice today. So here's our text, Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 39. Last week was Pentecost, and we read Acts chapter 2 all the way to verse 39. But I want to focus in on these last four verses of the text that we looked at last week when the Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost and Peter and the other disciples of Christ came out of the upper room. Peter preaches a sermon to the thousands of people gathered in Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Pentecost. And these are the words of Peter, verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So there's three things I want us to see in these verses today as we talk about the gospel and social justice. The first thing I want you to see is that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Therefore, he is our only hope. I want you to see the gospel calls us to repent. That means we must acknowledge our sin and turn from it. And the third thing I want you to see is that the promise of salvation is for the world. In Christ, there is no distinction by skin color, by ethnicity, by social status, by any of that. Salvation is for the world, and now in Christ, there is only one new man. Now, before we get to those verses or breaking down those verses, I want to talk to you a little bit about Social justice. Has anyone heard that term in the media? It's, it's kind of the, uh, the term of the day, you might say. And I think in light of what is happening in our nation right now, we need to understand as the church that the gospel of Christ is the only hope that we have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for the gospel of Christ, the hope the gospel gives to us. There is no other place. There is no other thing. There is no philosophy. There is no ideology. There is no political thought. There is no... There is nothing that can give us hope outside of the gospel. Everything else is just a deception. It's an illusion. So we ask God that you would open our hearts and our minds today, that you would reveal truth to us that would set us free from the lies that the culture feeds us constantly in an effort to destroy us and to destroy your gospel. We thank you that that cannot happen. Your church cannot be destroyed. Your gospel cannot be destroyed, for you have already overcome. You have already won the victory. We are in a battle, and it is raging all around us. But Father, remind us and teach us. Help us to remember that our victory is not in question. Your victory is not in question. Help us to be faithful, to stand, even in the face of withering fire. Help us to stand and be strong in you, Lord, and in the power of your might. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The gospel, the gospel of Christ is the only hope that we have. We must be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in us. That's what Peter writes in his epistle. We must not bow down to the political or the cultural idols of our day. And you see what happens when people do that. Their lives are destroyed. People can apologize. People can retract. People can, can, can say things in private conversations that are not even malicious or harmful I saw an article the other day that an Indian movie star, some famous Indian actress who is a spokesperson for a cream that helps lighten the color of your skin, she posted that she stood with the protesters in all that's going on and they were ready. They had already dug into all of her stuff and found something that they could use. And they said, you're a racist. And there is an attempt to destroy her life. And I have no clue who this person is. Never seen her movies. Don't even remember what her name is. But she's obviously famous enough. And the point is, this is an ideology. This is a movement that is built upon its foundation is destruction. And if we bow to it, we will ourselves be destroyed. We are in a battle and we must fight that battle in the Lord and in the power of his might, not according to this world system. And this is what the world wants us to do. They want us to join the battle with their methods. Because when we do that, whether we realize it or not, we've bowed to what they're doing. We've bowed to the very idols that we say that we reject, that we oppose. 
So we're talking about the gospel and social justice. I don't know if you know what social justice is, but I'm going to give you two definitions. The first one I'm going to give you is from Wikipedia because it's, if you Google social justice, this is the first definition that's going to come up. Now I want you to pay close attention to the words of these definitions. From Wikipedia, social justice is a concept of fair and just relations between the individual and society as measured by, are you ready? The distribution of wealth, comma, opportunities for personal activity and social privileges. If nothing else stood out in that definition, that phrase, distribution of wealth, should have caught your attention. Now, I realize I come from a different generation. I'm the baby boomer generation. My father fought in World War II. I grew up in the midst of the Cold War. I remember having drills, not just for tornadoes, but for nuclear attacks when I was in school. This is what you do if a nuclear bomb detonates. Of course, they didn't tell us that if it detonated close enough, it wouldn't matter whether we were under our desk or not. We'd all be wiped out. But this is what I grew up in. I grew up understanding that the wall separating East and West Berlin was literally built overnight and it separated families and the communists shot and killed anyone trying to go back, simply to go back to their family. I watched on live television in 1989 when that wall came down in Berlin because America had won the Cold War against the Soviet Union. And in all of that, the Soviet Union, which no one growing up in my generation thought would ever go away, actually disintegrated. And if we think for one moment that it was American power or men or philosophies that were ultimately responsible for those things happening, we deceive ourselves. That was the product of prayer. That was the product of the gospel that ultimately destroyed those literal walls that separated people. The borders of the countries that made up what was then called the Soviet Union was called the Iron Curtain. You say, why are you talking about that? Because foundational to that philosophy, foundational to that ideology is this little phrase right here. Not just the distribution of wealth, but the redistribution of wealth. Let me read you another definition of social justice. Now that one from Wikipedia is what's on there right now. This other definition actually comes from 2001 from a very renowned sociologist. He was actually the president of the American Sociological uh, Society 
or Society for Sociologists. He's world-renowned. He's actually right now an, a renowned professor at A&M University, but he's been all over Harvard, all the Ivy League schools. And he pinned this definition in the American Sociological Review in 2001, and I think it's very striking. And actually, the name of this article is this. The name of this gentleman is Joe R. Fegan. I want to give him his uh, due credit because I didn't write this definition. I wouldn't want to be responsible for writing it. And the name of the article that appeared in the American Sociological Review in February of 2001, the name of the article is Social Justice and Sociology Agendas for the 21st Century. The President's Address. He was at that time the president of the American Society for so, uh, uh, Sociologists. Agendas for the 21st Century. This is in February 2001. This is pre-9-11. This was a time when social justice was mainly a conversation academics were having, people in academia. And they'd been having it for decades, trust me. They've been planning their agenda for decades. So here's, here's his definition. Here's what he believes about social justice. And the reason I, I'm telling you this is because this man has had the hearts and minds of our children captured. He's been teaching them. He's been indoctrinating them for decades now. And people just like him. Which is why we are seeing on the news the things we're seeing take place in our nation. Social justice requires resource equity, fairness and respect for diversity, as well as the eradication of existing forms of social oppression. Social justice entails a redistribution of resources from those who have unjustly gained them to those redistribution to those who justly deserve them. And it also means creating and ensuring the process of truly democratic participation in decision making. It seems clear that only a decisive redistribution of resources and decision making power can ensure social justice and authentic democracy. Close quote. Now, at first glance, that might not sound like a bad thing. But if you really listen to what's being said there, what, what this man is proposing and what the social justice movement is proposing is the complete destruction of our culture and society as we know it and a complete reboot according to what they believe. Do you know what authentic democracy, do you know what a democracy is? Do you know what authentic democracy is? See, most people out marching and rioting and looting don't really understand these things because we have an education system that has on purpose not taught them 
correctly about these things. Because the people in charge of the education system are people like Joe Fagan, who have been indoctrinating our students for decades to believe that socialism is actually the way we should go. Communism is really not bad. If you see any images of Antifa or Antifa, you'll see the, the flag of the old Soviet Union with the hammer and sickle. That flag doesn't even exist anymore except now with the protesters who are trying to turn our nation into that broken, fallen, godless, atheistic system. This is what the social justice movement is about. You know what an authentic democracy is? Majority rules. Do you know that America does not, America is not a pure democracy. You realize that, don't you? It's a democratic republic governed by our constitution, which has built-in safeguards to make sure that the majority cannot rule over the majority in such a way that we're just going to kick them to the side or kick in their head or stomp them to death like we're seeing on television. Boy, I digress, but this is so important. There are people that teach the American Revolution and the French Revolution are the same, built on the same principles, that in fact we modeled our American Revolution after the French Revolution. That is so not true. That is so not true. America is the only country who has ever had a revolution to that scale that we can actually be proud of. Do you know there is shame right now in France because of the French Revolution? Because people in France are now reading what really happened during the French Revolution. And they are appalled at the bloodshed and the violence and the lack of humanity that was exhibited in that revolution because people were angry at the ruling class. Now, no one is saying reform is bad. And no one is saying that we don't need reform in some of our institutions and in some of the things that make up our country. But to justify killing innocent people, beating to death innocent people, destroying businesses and neighborhoods of the very people you say that you care about and you want to protect, it doesn't make sense. But it is very purposeful. It's very purposeful. I hope you can hear the danger in this. This may be called social justice, but it is the ab abolition of our freedom and the eradication of our Constitution. It stands in opposition to the very foundation of freedom we have in Christ. It exalts man above God and removes God entirely, or at the very least, it reduces him to an irrelevant myth. 
The cry of the day is justice. We need justice and the demand of justice should be served. While we are rightly demanding justice, all who profess trust in Jesus should understand what justice demands in regards to our sin. It demands our death due to our sin. The sinless Christ took God's wrath in our stead that we would become partakers of his life. This is the gospel. This is God's social justice for all who turn to Christ. Christ crucified is not only justice carried out, it is grace poured out. We deserve the justice of God, but instead we were given his grace. None of the current social justice warriors have a clue about real justice, and they certainly do not have a clue about God's grace. You may be tempted to point to the broad brush I'm painting when it comes to the social justice movement today. And let me say this in defense of myself, I could not find a brush broad enough to paint with. For no one that has been truly impacted and instructed by the gospel of Christ, no one that is truly following Jesus could promote what has come to be known as the social justice movement today. In its origins, it may have been a noble cause, and I would encourage you to read where its origins came from. It actually came from the church. But the social justice movement we know today is not rooted in the truth of Christ, but in the sin of man. It is not about racial justice or any other kind of justice. It is about the exaltation of man in his sin and in his rebellion against God. The same sin that infected man in the garden infects man today. The only solution for our sin is the gospel of Christ. The only true social justice plan that has ever existed is the gospel. The gospel is God's plan for social justice. The gospel alone has the power to set us free from sin. True freedom is true social justice, and that is found only in Christ. So let me start with the truth concerning Jesus. Do not relegate Jesus to a sidebar as, as some are doing in this discussion, if not ignoring him completely. When you bring up Jesus, when you bring up the scripture, the response is, I know I'm not talking about Jesus right now. I'm not talking about the Bible right now. I'm talking about how black lives matter. And my question is, don't all lives matter? And the response I got was, you're not, you're, you're trying to change the conversation. Of course all lives matter, but that's not what we're talking about. Well, why aren't we talking about all lives? Why, why does the Bible not apply here? Why does Jesus, a sidebar in this discussion, and that's what he's become for a lot of people. Uh, now, I get this in the world. I get this with people who don't know Jesus, who are just out there in the world living by a worldly uh, philosophy and worldly system. But when the church begins to move Jesus into a sidebar, and now we, we want to talk about this, this problem. We want to talk about what's going on in our nation, but, but we're going to put Jesus on the side over here. We're not going to talk about Jesus. We're not going to talk about the Bible right now. We're going to talk about social justice. You can't do it. 
You can't talk about that and remove Jesus from the conversation. You can't talk about that and, and not bring the scripture, the gospel of Christ, to the very center of this conversation. And if you put it anywhere else, then you are lying to yourself and lying to those around you. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Peter's words, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now I understand not everybody believes that. I understand not everybody even believes Jesus was a real person who walked on this real earth. I get that. I'm not talking to those people. I'm not here today trying to convince unbelievers to believe in Jesus. I'm talking to the church. I'm talking to those who profess to be followers of Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, if you follow Jesus, this is the Jesus you follow. This is the Jesus you profess. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Jesus is both Lord and Christ. I'm not... I'm not concerned right now whether the world believes that. My concern is whether the church believes that. And whether the church believes that or not is directly bearing on what's happening in our nation. We actually have preachers, pastors of churches who are professed atheists. And their denominations do not have a problem with the professed atheist being the pastor of their church teaching their people the Bible every week that, that that atheist doesn't even believe in. Except that it's a good collection of stories. It has, it has some good things in there that we can benefit from. Listen, if the Bible is nothing but a collection of stories we can benefit from, then we might as well all pack it up and go home. I mean, that is so, that is so, it doesn't even make sense, you say. Yes, that's right. And that's my point. None of this makes sense. None of this does because it's not supposed to make sense. It's supposed to be confusing. You know who the author of confusion is? It's not God. Jesus is both Lord and Christ. What this means very simply is that Jesus is the only hope we have. Jesus cannot be relegated to an inferior place or ignored. Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He is not one way. He is the only way. He is not one of many doors. He is the only door that leads to life. This truth is not only for the house of Israel to know, it's for all the world to know. It is for you and for me and every other living creature to know. Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Look to no other, for there is salvation in no other name. He alone is the Savior, for he alone has been given all authority. Salvation is not just going to heaven when you die. Salvation encompasses our whole life and everything in it, now and for eternity. When I say there is salvation in no other name, I mean salvation for your soul, salvation for your family, salvation for your friends, salvation for your nation. If you think for one moment one political party or another is going to save us, you better think again. 
You better be looking at what those people, regardless of what party they're in, have to say about Jesus, have to say about the gospel, have to say about the truth. If they've removed Jesus to a sidebar or they just want to ignore him altogether, I'm going to tell you right now, run from that candidate as far and as fast as you can and run to the one that will embrace Jesus. Yes, I did just say that. Yes, I did just say that. Because that's, that's what we better do if we want to save this nation. Christ is salvation in every sense of the word. In all of life, for all the world. That's what we say. Christ in all of life, for all the world. And we mean it. Because that's who he is. God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. It is to this Lord and this Christ that we must bow. We must not bow to the God of political correctness and social justice. If you are watching closely, everyone who bows to this idol is destroyed. These idols that have destroyed much of what was once called the church are now destroying our nation. A repentant church, humbled before the Lord, is the only hope for healing our land. Repentance must begin in the church, in the house of God, because that's where judgment begins. And unless it begins there, unless it's there, here in the church, it won't be seen in the world. Acts 2, 37 and 38, then Peter goes on, he says, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and Peter said to the rest of the and Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? This was the response. You've crucified the one whom God has made, both Lord and Christ. And their response was, men and brethren, what are we to do? And Peter said to them, repent, verse 38, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. We don't understand how radical that was for the Jews. When Peter says, not just repent, but be baptized. Their baptism into Jesus was a radical step, a radical departure from what they had known, from what they had believed, from what they had lived. And to be baptized into Christ was to radically remove yourself from what I was into this new reality, this new humanity, this new man in Jesus Christ. Repent. This is what the gospel does. It cuts men to the heart and calls them to repent and enter into a radical change. The problem in our nation is not the color of men's skin. It's the condition of men's hearts. There is no amount of protest, no amount of destruction, no amount of policy or political pontification that can change men's hearts. March all you want, vigil all you want, protest all you want, defund the police, do whatever you want, but it cannot change what truly needs to be changed. Only the gospel of Christ has that power. Only the gospel is the power of God to salvation and the power to change men's hearts. Salvation is not a ticket to heaven that allows you to live like hell on this earth. Salvation in Jesus Christ means you have been given a new heart by God. That new heart will be seen in the way you walk, in the way you talk, in the way you live your life. If not, then your heart remains in question. 
You must answer the question of your own heart. If it is right with God, you'll know it. You and I are never going to be perfect in this life. I hope you realize that. But we can know that we have eternal life in Jesus. We can know if our heart is right with God. And if it is or if it is not, it will be reflected in the way we live our life. That is why I can say without any hesitation at all that those out looting and destroying and murdering in the name of justice or any other name are demonstrating the condition of their hearts. They are cold and dead and hard and only God can make them new. They reflect the hearts of many in our land. And I can say the very same thing for any police officer or law-abiding citizen who uses the badge or the law to brutalize or murder another defenseless human being, literally or figuratively. Those lawless acts, even by those charged with keeping law and order, cannot be defended or justified. Sin is sin, murder is murder, and we have to have the courage to stand up and call it out from anybody that's participating in it. We can vainly continue to protest, boycott, and ruin people's lives in the name of social justice. We can do all of that and even apply the band-aids of policy and legislation to make us feel better, but none of that will heal the real problem. There must be a heart change in God's church until the heart of the church is turned back to God, to his word, to his truth, to his holiness. Nothing will change until the church returns to the gospel. Men's hearts will remain hard and cold and dead. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. The gospel alone has the power to give men new hearts. We when we abandon the gospel, we abandon our hope. We lie to ourselves and to those around us when we make men believe there is hope in any other name or any other movement born out of man's sinful rejection of Christ. When we lie, we doom ourselves until the truth sets us free. Today in America, more than ever, we need the truth to set us free. That truth is found only in Jesus Christ and his good news. The gospel calls us to repent. It demands, it commands that we repent and that we be radically changed. And then in verse 39, Peter says this, for the promise, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. The promise of salvation, the promise of the Holy Spirit is the promise of a new creation in one new man. That promise was made to the Jews, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to those who were near. That promise was made to all the nations, to those who were afar off. In fact, Peter goes on to tell us that the promise is to all, as many as the Lord our God will call. Salvation is for the world, all the world. It's both for Jew and for Gentile, for those near and for those afar off. The divisions between men have existed since the garden. It began with man's rejection of God. It's seen in Cain murdering his brother, Abel. There have been divisions between ethnic groups and nations 
Before and since the Tower of Babel, those distinctions that create division have been put away in Christ. Listen to Paul's words in Colossians 3, verses 8 through 11. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. For those in Christ we have put off the old man with his evil deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, that is the knowledge of Christ. Put off the old man who was in sin and put on the new man who is in Christ. We can do this by the grace of God and only by the grace of God. Who can do this? Any and all that the Lord would call. Jew and Gentile. Red and yellow, black and white. All are precious in his sight. You can't even say that. You can't even sing that song anymore. My mother-in-law just told me this weekend as a kindergarten teacher, she was reprimanded because she used the term red in a song referring to Indians. And she was reported to the principal by another teacher. So if you sing that song, Jesus loves the little children, and you say red and yellow, black and white, you're being a racist. Just saying. Just saying what the world is saying. You see how ridiculous it is? You see how destructive it is? You see how dividing it is? Ephesians 2, 13 through 18. Because the Bible says in Christ there are none of those divisions. Just skin color. But we're all the same race. We're all humans created in the image of God. Ephesians 2.13 But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. There is only one race. It is the human race. The distinctions based on skin color have nothing to do with race. There are different ethnicities, but only one human race. God did not make those distinctions based on the color of men's skin. Man, in his sinfulness, did that. The only distinction God makes is between those who belong to Christ and those who do not. God makes no distinction between skin color. Christ is all and in all. God loves 
all the colors equally. He loves men and he loves women. He loves the old. He loves the young. He loves the rich. He loves the poor. The only distinction God makes is whether you are in Christ or not. If you're in Christ, you're in life. If you're not in Christ, you're still in death. And it's in, in and out of death that all of these distinctions that we're seeing destroy our country today. It, that's where they come from. They come from sin. And trying to accentuate that and trying to continue to designate those things and find solutions, only certain people can speak to this problem. You've got to have a certain skin color in order to speak. You have to have a certain skin color in order to be able to. What, what about us all being humans? What about us all going to the gospel? What about us all being clothed in the blood of Jesus? Let red, let the blood of Jesus define us. Let the blood of Jesus mark us. Let's destroy all of our distinctions, all of our man-made distinctions, and let God bring them all together and make them one under the blood of Jesus. That's what the gospel has done. That's true social justice. Hatred crosses skin color, gender, political affiliations, and every other dividing line man can come up with. Hating your brother or your sister for any reason is a sin. It makes no difference what color skin they have. Just as hate crosses those boundaries, love should cross those boundaries. When Christ came, he abolished those distinctions. He broke down the wall of division that had existed for millennium. Imagine the difficulty of breaking down the walls between Jew and Gentile. It cost Jesus his life, as well as many others. Jesus was very plain about this. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 21, verse 43 and 44. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but whoever falls on whoever it falls will be ground to powder. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken and live. Jew or Gentile, black or white, young and old, male and female. But whoever this rock falls upon will be ground to powder. The kingdom is not defined by man or man's characteristics. It's defined by God. We are not dealing with anything today that man and the gospel has not already dealt with and answered. The gospel holds the answer to the problem many are focused on today. God has, the, God has answered this problem. God has answered hatred with the gospel. God removed the wall. He created in himself one new man from the two. Now in Christ, there is only the new man, the new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The things that divide us today have already been dealt with by the gospel. We do not need what is called social justice today. We need the gospel. True social justice will only be achieved through the true gospel. The gospel is opposed to what we call social justice today. In fact, it opposes it. 
It doesn't support it. It opposes it. Social justice today is not about justice. It's not about equality. Or more specifically, it is about uniformity. Equality and uniformity are not the same thing. To have equal opportunity is very different than having equal wages, equal housing, equal provision forced on us by some set of laws or a government to create what it calls equality when in reality it is conformity. Listen to this quote from Michael Novak. Equality is against nature and against the whole range of human gifts. Human gifts make us necessarily unequal in some sense. Frederick Hayek wrote a really powerful little book called The Mirage of Social Justice in which he picked up on the way the term social justice was being used in the first half of the 20th century. He said social justice had become a synonym for progressive. And progressive in practice means socialist or heading toward socialism. Well, my friends, we are just about there today. That book, that quote comes from the first half of the 20, 20th century. You realize how long ago that was? This is not a new phenomenon. This is the same strategy the enemy has been using since the garden. This is just the rejection of God dressed up in what we call social justice. It is no accident America was founded by men and women who believed in Christ and were committed to the spread of his gospel and to the idea that we should worship him free from state control. This is at the heart of our Constitution because our founding fathers believed in God and the free worship of God. The Constitution does not guarantee our happiness it guarantees the pursuit of happiness. It is the gospel that has kept us free. And if we continue to abandon the gospel, we will continue to abandon our freedom and our way of life that has created unprecedented opportunities for all who come to this land. I heard the report of a man who came here I don't know, well, he was from Turkey. And he fled Turkey because of the violence and because of the oppression that existed there. And he came to America and he started a business. And he was living what we would call the American dream. And the looters and the rioters destroyed his store, destroyed his business. And he said, I feel like I'm back in Turkey. He said, this is what happens in this is why I left my land and came here. This is not supposed to happen in America. He said, this is the way life was where I lived, under oppression, under an oppressive government, an oppressive system. He said, I don't understand this. It was the freedom that we gained because of the gospel. Those principles written out in our Constitution that have given men like this gentleman who came from a third world country the unprecedented opportunity to build a new life and to experience a prosperity that he could have never experienced in his homeland.
It is literally the gospel that gives us this freedom, this opportunity. We are not yet a perfect union, and we never will be as long as there are imperfect hearts. Only the church of the Lord Jesus can stop this ill tide trying to carry us into a godless socialism, a godless destruction. Whatever title you want to put on it, it's godless. It's not of God. This increasing erosion of our freedom is proportional to the erosion of the gospel from our churches and our families. I hope you can see that. This decline began in the church. This decline must be stopped and turned around in the church. Judgment begins in the house of God. I believe it has begun. Only the house of God, the church, can reverse it. May we truly humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. Then God will hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal our land. Lord, have mercy on us. Let's all stand. Here is your charge today. It's time for the church to be bold. God has filled us with his spirit for that exact reason. Last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. We're still in the second chapter of Acts looking at the result of that outpouring of the Spirit and the result was a bold witness to Christ. The enemy is bold. We must be more bold because we live and move in a greater power than anything the enemy has. It is time for the church to repent to command men to repent of their sin and rejection of Christ. It is time for the church to become the living epistles that testify to Christ in a lost and dying world. It's time to stand up for the truth. Saying you believe in Christ while your life testifies otherwise simply means you are lying to yourself, you're lying to others, and most importantly, you are lying to God. It is time to pledge our allegiance to Jesus. It is time to abandon and tear down our idols. It's time to stop the infiltration of social justice and political and cultural correctness and idolatry into the church. We are not to judge the world, but we are commanded to judge the church without hypocrisy and in righteousness. Stand up, bow only to God. Speak up, let his truth be heard. Step up and present your body a living sacrifice to God. Let us no longer be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. To him alone be glory forever and ever. Amen.